We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Rest cars for kids. one 877 cars for kids Donate your car today. Now accepting donations of land, homes, buildings, or any kind of real estate. Wake up! Wake up! Mike Mulligan. Bears, 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 bears. Football, football, football. You know what? I'd like to say you're wrong, Molly, but you're not wrong very often. David Hoff. That was one of the best questions you've ever asked. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to get an answer just as good. Chicago Sports Talk for your morning on 670 The Score. Let's go. Good Monday morning, Chicago. Welcome into the Mully and Haw Show. Layla Rahimi is in for Mully today. Happy President's Day to one and all broadcasting live here from the Hyundai Score Studio, brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers. Good morning, Layla. Thank you for getting up early, trudging in here. You were just off work not that long ago. If people aren't confused, this is not taped. This is live, and Layla is here bright and early. Ah, yes. Let me see. Let me do the math here. I was off work six hours ago. Yes. So, guys, if I if I don't know what day or year it is anymore, just just roll with me here. Sports Sunday has morphed into Big Monday or whatever you want to call it, but it wasn't that long ago you were showing highlights from the NBA All-Star game we will be talking about a little bit today. I think it just ended. Actually. Did it just end? Yeah. Somebody else chucked up a 3. After 75,000 points, it just ended. I I think that was hard to watch at times. And I think we say the same thing every year. Was interested in Dame Lillard's post-game comments about where it might be headed. The incentivizing of the All-Star game might be the next step to try to make it more competitive. When it was 211 to 186, it's farcical. It's a video game. It's not competitive, and it's not that watchable all of the time. Now, I love seeing Dame bury it from 50. I mean, who does that? He was one step past the half court line. He hits it. But how much of that can you watch? Uh, okay, so here's here's my take on at least the All-Star game itself. The All-Star game, and Ernie Johnson echoed this before tip-off, that it's a celebration for the players. Like, how much did we see the quest for being an all-star for Zach Levine before he became one and how important that was to him? Now, yes, part of part of qualifying for max contract is the all-star piece of it, but that's an incentive the NBA built in for a reason. They wanted people to care about this. And we might not be seeing the most competitive display on the court, but it also takes me back to, like, the days of the and one tour, you know, where... It's just guys showing off their skills. Now, nobody wants to dunk because of the knee aspect of this, and we'll get into that a little bit later. (laughs) But if you're just going to have fun with stuff and see how far you can shoot a three, I just don't mind it at this point. I understand, and I think that is true. I don't think most people do mind. It's not necessarily something you're riveted to if you're watching at home on television. But I think it was interesting from a just – contrast or all weekend it was like and I'm saying this as a proud Indiana native right everyone knows I lean into the whole Hoosier thing I grew up in small town Indiana it is a place where you know when you learn when you learn Indiana history in fourth grade part of it is you have to memorize the 1954 Milan miracle and Bobby Plump is you know, a statewide hero because of that. That's really cool, actually, that they make you learn about sports in your Indiana history. Texas history was a little different. Texas football, what football is to Texas, what high school football is to Texas, high school basketball is to Indiana. You can definitely relate. So I found it interesting that in Indianapolis, where the NBA All-Star Game is and was celebrated in a way that Hoosiers can celebrate the sport that they all love and embrace that this became this video game, no defense, no fundamentals, let's shoot, dunk, and, 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 and score layups, and 211 points. 
They made a mockery of the game that, that was say, had celebrated all weekend long. A thing of beauty, or was that just ugly, ugly, ugly? I don't know. I think it depends. Can I just ask this question? What do you want in an all-star game? Right. Because you don't want your favorite player getting hurt. You're right. And you don't exactly need anything that would put them in that risk. You know you're not going to get practice before the game necessarily. So what what is the model all-star game where it makes a little sense? Is it the NHL all-star game for you? Uh, not if you're a goalie. Not if you're a goalie, because then you got the puck coming at you. You don't know. I don't know. The ideal all-star game, I don't know that there is one. The best one is baseball. Right. And the even best then, one is baseball. Even then, how many versions of that have we seen? How many versions have we seen where, where unfairly another team was punished in the World Series because it counted that time? Right. And whichever league won the game and it hurt them. I think that it what what's happened in, in all the pro sports, all the sports, I guess, overall, the inherent fear of injury yeah. has taken over every decision. And so you're not seeing the all-star games the way that we're used to seeing the all-star games, the way we saw them growing up. Everything has changed and evolved, and it's okay. It's just it's hard to justify or defend what happened last night in Indy. You have almost 400 points. It's not competitive, and it's it's hardly worth your time, even though it is kind of fun to see, you know, again, before the game, Reggie Miller is standing there next to Oscar Robertson and Larry Bird. Those are Indiana icons, and Reggie Miller commanded the show, and Larry Bird said, Indy, start your engines, <laughs> kind of awkwardly. But it's, that, it's fun to see all these guys in the same vicinity sharing each other's company, but the basketball leaves a lot to be desired. Yeah, it was a celebration of basketball. You can for sure say that. And I still can't get over the fact that Oscar Robertson is into his 80s and looks that sharp. But I, uh, to me, you look at other things to remind you of the collection of elite talent, like the picture of the Western Conference All-Stars. Mm-hmm. Arguably, the entire picture of that team, outside of maybe you're still debating about Carl Anthony Towns, is is Hall of Fame, right? Hall of Fame, yeah, no doubt about it. You look at that roster: Durant, LeBron, Steph. Maybe Luca. You're still kind of undecided about if it's a Hall of Fame career, but he's doing his best. Luca missing the dunk was one of the most memorable plays of that game. Luca missing the dunk in the first half and laughing about it. Luca's 25 this week. They wished him happy birthday during the awkward in-game interview, 25 years old. So he's already ticket to the Hall of Fame? Yes, right? He's one going to be an all-time great. I mean, I don't. He needs to win a championship. Maybe. Maybe. I don't. You don't expect that in Dallas, that's for sure. You don't. But, but I, think, I don't necessarily know that he's going to stay there. That's interesting. Yeah, if he's on the move, he, he's definitely a Hall of Famer. It is fun to see those guys playing together. It's fun to see Durant and LeBron on the same team, on the same court. Uh, it's, it was fun to see. I know this is like blasphemous in Chicago. LeBron James conducted himself and made himself accessible in a way that I don't think you always see superstars do. We're coming off a Super Bowl where Patrick Mahomes is the most likable guy in the NFL and certainly the most marketable and affable and all of the things. LeBron... Hasn't always been that guy, or maybe we just haven't always noticed or appreciated it. But lately, he has been, he was everywhere, and he was willing to talk about anything and everything. And, and the best moment for LeBron this weekend was at his press conference, which was packed. Mm-hmm. Last question, Jeff Zilgit from USA Today, who had overcome and fought cancer, asked the last question, and LeBron acknowledged him and how good it was to see him. Called him by name, and that's a big deal. I thought that was really a, a moment where, you know, it humanized LeBron James in a way that his critics don't always allow, to, they don't always appreciate or they're not willing to see. Of course. Yeah, that's that's always been one of the knocks on LeBron, right, is what's the motivation or something along those lines. I'd, I haven't felt that way. but 
it was nice to see some commonly held humane moments like that. And frankly, even the interview he did with everybody before the game talking about whether or not he wants a goodbye tour. Yes. You know, and where the, and the, he says, I haven't been good with with uh, praise. That was a bit of a, that, that uh, was then, a bit hard to I, say. That was I hard to say. I smirk yeah. and raise yeah, an eyebrow it. because you've been on TV, on national TV, since you were in high school. Like, come on. But, he he doesn't necessarily do humility that well. Although he does, he he does come across as more relatable than he has. I think that's just as he gets older. Um, he he's talked about not being sure he wants a farewell tour. He's fifty fifty right now. I think maybe he wants to be talked into that. I think he sounded like he could be talked into that. It was also very cool for him. You know, we all are we all have our favorite pregame shows. A lot of people love. You know Kenny Smith and Charles Barkley and Shaq and Ernie Johnson. That's you know that they set the standard right now. And LeBron James joined them before the All Star game and didn't have to, but I thought he came across really pretty relatable there too. LeBron James had a good weekend before the game. He did, and to me, that's what All Star has really become. You are going to get information out of Adam Silver's press conferences and him discussing. The fate of the Ignite program, for example, now that NIL has become such a powerful tool for people, that's valid. When he was here, he was one of the first people to talk about COVID-19 because they were monitoring it at the time. You know, looking back and really like in the weeks before it became a huge deal here when he had that press conference, you're always going to get something informative out of him. That's a press conference you look to for information. You... Try to get as much availability out of players as you can and who's there. It's it's really become, in a way, the convention that you get in the week before the Super Bowl for a lot of people for access and information and what you might need to discuss. So 211 to 186 wasn't necessarily the, the competitive gem everybody may have wanted, uh, but that was the NBA All-Star game. If you didn't like that, you could have been tuned into college basketball. There was a lot to like over the weekend if you are – so inclined, it's now late February, getting toward March, and people are at the point, I know I am, the Super Bowl's over. There was no football to watch for the first time since July on a Sunday, Layla, or at least on a weekend. There was no football of anything. There were no all-star games. There were no playoff games. No maction. There were no maction. No made-up spring football league games. No rock. Well, doesn't rock have something he could have put on Sunday to play? Does he doing something? There was no football. What so, are they calling that new XFL merged? I think just the, the, the rock the league. UFL? Yeah, there's no rock league. <laughs> yeah, there's no rock league. So college basketball in this state is something that is going to be worth paying attention to in March. It seems you've got Northwestern yesterday beat the Indiana Hoosiers down in Bloomington. Good, good victory. I mean, that's a good victory for, for Chris Collins' crew. They're putting together a nice resume. 18 wins. They, they're 9-6 and six in the Big Ten. They are definitely uh, a team that's benefiting from its tournament experience and exposure last year. You've got Illinois that is going to create some conflict for some people heading into March. You know, Terrence Shannon Jr. still playing, still their best player, and still going to be a factor on this team. We know what the controversy is surrounding him. That's going to be that's going to be a fascinating story to see how people handle that heading into March. And then closer to home, don't look now. Loyola's in first place in the Atlantic 10. I How did that happen? Especially after last year finishing last in the conference. I, I think that we aren't talking about it enough. I don't think we are. I don't think people realize that they are not in the Missouri Valley Conference anymore. They're not the little engine that could anymore. And the A-10 has some elite play. Yeah. I, I was uh, the NBC reporter for the A-10 two years ago in 2022. And to see all of the people who are now at least on NBA teams, not even G League teams, but NBA, it's uh, the guard play in that league, as we know, is elite. And to see what they're doing tied with Dayton, who's typically the class of that conference, that, that is worthy of huge discussion. They're putting together a very nice body of work this season. They are, and Drew Valentine will get a lot of praise and a lot of credit. And if he wins the A-10 Coach of the Year, 
Moldy's not here today. I could probably say this without cringing or ducking. But Drew Valentine will get some looks from bigger programs, from Power 5 programs, from from Ohio State. Thank you, Tyler Farringal. Hey, they just beat Purdue yesterday. That's the other thing that was on the TV. Who saw, who saw that coming? I did, because Purdue always lays a curious egg before the March tournament begins. They do, yeah. And sometimes they lay an egg in March against my alma mater. Mostly they do, and, and nice reference to that. Yes, Purdue getting ready for March Madness. Matt Painter's crew lost in Columbus. You could have watched that yesterday. Zach Eady did not have a great day, but Purdue, they fire the coach, Chris Holtman, on Wednesday. They win for the interim on Sunday. That's a good move. But, but Loyola and Drew Valentine... If we hear from them a little bit in March, you're going to you're going to have to keep the eye on his suitors after that because he will be a hot candidate. This is a heck of a turnaround for them. And he's used the transfer portal to his advantage. We've had some amazing stories on NBC5 about the Ramblers as well. Philip Alston having undergone cardiac arrest. That was a tremendous story. Ruthie Polinski did that. Right. Philip Alston is a... One of the better stories that I've seen this year in college basketball, just based on what he came back from and based on the kind of year he's having. That's not an exaggeration, folks. He had cardiac arrest, nearly died. Right. And they brought him back. Then he transfers to Loyola, goes through a, you know, uh, adjustment phase. Sure. And period. Now he's part of one of the bigger surprises in the Atlantic 10. And certainly has Sister Jean smiling, and her prayers are being answered. That's a good basketball team. And last night we had a story about Patrick Mwamba, also from Ruthie, and how he became uh, available. He's the first player to get a Division One scholarship out of the uh, NBA Africa program. Oh, come on. Based in Senegal. On Loyola? He's had to learn six languages. He learned his sixth language, which was English, to qualify because he had to take the ACT. Loyola has a basketball player that speaks six different languages? Yes. Wow. Yeah, his story is I got, incredible. Yeah, I love these stories. I got to get in on that. That's And he transferred twice now. He nice got a job. look from UTA. NBC5. Wow. We have the NBC5. We're on the Ramblers beat. Biographers y'all. on your staff. That's but, fun. I mean, but those are amazing stories. And he was at UTA, and then he transferred again to Oral Roberts, you know, home of formerly Max Asmus as well who was the leading scorer, I think, in the NCAA at the time. They go to the dance, and then now he's at Loyola. It's just they've been using this to their advantage, and it's been working well. They're going to be a fun team to follow if they go. I don't even, Not even if they go deep in the tournament. If they get into the tournament the second year in the A-10, that will be quite an accomplishment for Drew Valentine and company. One footnote, Mwamba is from the Congo, but the program is based in Senegal. Well-traveled man. Well-traveled man. I'm glad he's in Chicago now. I know they're happy to have him. All right, so, yeah, 847, settle down, Texter. Uh, we're getting to the big story of the weekend. This is the setup. We're going to talk about what happened with Jerry Reinsdorf and the Friday news dump. We're going to have spend le- a lot of time on that, okay? Wait, who's protecting people here? Uh, I, I guess that would be me. But oh, this was what happened on Friday afternoon. We're going to talk to Jim Kirk who is in charge at Crane's Chicago Business, and he's going to join us at 8 o'clock. The story on Friday was that the White Sox chairman, Jerry Reinsdorf, believes that he will be successful in seeking up to a billion dollars. Actually, it's closer to probably $1.2 billion when all is said and done in subsidies to create and build a ballpark at Clark and Roosevelt known as the 78 in the South Loop and we've been waiting to find out exactly how they plan to pay for this what the thinking is what the scheming could be is that the right verb to use this did not hit well and I think it's a non-starter when you're talking about the public money that is necessary to be put into this private investment I don't want to call it an investment. It's a private building project. And there's going to be a meeting between Governor J.B. Pritzker and Jerry Reinsdorf, so he says, according to the report. And uh, according to the, the article, 
Reinsdorf is bullish on being able to sell the argument that the stadium subsidies will bring billions in private investment while also being structured so that no new or increased taxes are required. That's the part we'll spend some time on because that's bait and switch. That's a shell game. That's deceptive in my mind, and I think that's where it becomes a non-starter. So we will spend a lot of time on the White Sox trying to do this and the race to see what funding they can create with the Illinois Sports Facilities Authority by the end of the calendar year. Yeah, their lease is up. And I don't think the answer is build a new stadium when you consider that the Bears were still, I think, at last check last year, they still owed more than $630 million on the Soldier Field renovations from 2002. And they're using the same tax to try to say that they can do it with this. There, By no means is that bill paid off from 20 years ago. I don't know how, and the Bears don't know that, the Cook County taxpayers do. I don't know how you can say, we're going to use the same tax to subsidize this. When? When, when would that bill come exactly? Because... I don't even know that the principal is being paid on what we're seeing right now. There's still a lot to be paid on the Soldier Field renovations, which were in 2003. And the Bears would still seemingly be eligible for the same kind of bond structuring uh, for a proposed Soldier Field. I'm sorry, South Lot Field, however you want to call it. We've got the South Lot versus the South Loop. And in one corner, we have Kevin Warren. In the other corner, we have Jerry Reinsdorf. Or maybe we should say this. In lane one, we have Kevin Warren. In lane two, we have Jerry Reinsdorf. There's one loophole that they can get from the ISFA by the end of the year to allow them to structure this so it is more of a, of a, a, a TIF situation uh, so they can sell the bonds, so they can take advantage of this before this is something that was tucked in a clause that was tucked into the legislature in, in in the law in 2021. It can't be used the way I understand it by both teams. At so the same time, you have Reinsdorf versus Warren. The first one who gets there gets the gets to use the loophole and to, to put put more burden on the taxpayers. Go and now you see this virtual race, and I don't know if it's that simple, but I do think that. It's problematic, and it's problematic when you're asking in this day and age, in this climate, with everything in the city that there is to deal with, to add a burden as big as this one would be, a billion-dollar ballpark in the South Loop. And while, no, there would not be any new taxes, and no, there wouldn't be a tax increase per se, every dollar that you dedicate to building a, a, a ballpark is a dollar that you don't spend on priorities that everybody in the city realizes what they should be and what they really are. We'll get to that, 847. We will definitely spend time on that, Texter. Layla's here. We're going to spend time on a lot of things. that We're going to air a lot of grievances today, I think. We have a lot of fun, too, though, right? <laughs> it's, is it a show if I'm, if I'm not on it airing grievances? I don't really exist no, on the show. That's why you're here. Got, and, and another thing. And another thing. You're grumpy because you only slept for like two and a half hours, probably. I, I think it was three. I also think that uh, you're not going to bear the brunt of that. The, uh, <laughs> at the like post 630 to like 1030 time. <laughs> That's what I'm going to really have to bring it. That's good. Well, you can bring <laughs> it. There might and be some jumping We jacks are and thrilled that you are here. People are happy. It's a Layla Monday. Hi, here guys. Here on the score. Here with me. We've got Tyler Farringold producing. We've got Robbie Triano for producing. And Robbie's going to contribute to the pick six. It's going to be a lot of fun. And we're going to do it next. It's Mullen Hall with Layla in for Mully, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade used with permission. 
It's Pick 6 with Mully and Haw, where we debate the top six sports stories of the day and then open it up to you, the Chicago sports fan. Call us at 312-644-6767, or you can tweet your thoughts at Mully Haw. Pick 6 with Mully and Haw starts now. What was your first reaction to Friday's report from Cranes that White Sox chairman Jerry Reinsdorf not only plans to seek at least $1 billion in subsidies to help finance a new ballpark in the South Loop, but Reinsdorf is also confident he can do it? I found it galling initially. I thought that it was a non-starter philosophically. This is not the climate. This is not the city. And really, this is not the time, I think, to be asking for public help for private gain. And that's essentially what a new stadium is, uh, especially one that it, you're going to the South Loop, you're playing in a stadium at 35th and Shields that can still be functional for a while. I want to know what Jerry Reinsdorf's stake is in this, privately, individually. I want to know what is his investment level because I know asking the public to subsidize this ballpark, as much as we love the renderings, as much as I love the idea, I love the concept of a baseball ballpark in the South Loop in the 78 with the skyline, with the backdrop, with all the convenience that, and all the, all the reality that it would develop that area. But I don't think the public needs to pay for it. It's a matter of priority. There's a lot of other things that those dollars could be spent on rather than using the hotel tax to fund a new ballpark. And to me, it is disingenuous to suggest that you're not raising taxes. Everybody knows what not raising taxes means. It's coming from the public fund. So what is your stake in it, Jerry Reinsdorf? Stop being disingenuous and tell us. Show up. Speak up. A little louder, please. Can't hear you here in the back. Because right now, I'll tell you what I do know is that there's still $384 million in principal outstanding on the bonds that were issued to help pay for Soldier Field. That's a lot of dough that the public is responsible for. So, I love this idea. I love that it was dumped on a Friday. And I love that we're going to explore it later with Jim Kirk, who works at Cranes and runs the show. And they're doing a great job. But this is galling and it takes some nerve for a billionaire to ask for a handout. You know in Breaking Bad when Jesse Pinkman says he can't keep getting away with this? I feel like that's how like the people of Chicago feel about this news. I also think it's a bad look when you're asking the city and the people of Chicago to be paying for your new stadium, but you're also very unwilling to use your own money to pay for players that keep the people in the city of Chicago happy. Just, just kind of a bad look. That's a great point. Yeah, that's how I feel about this is, okay, number one, you had a team that uh, thought it was going to win the AL Central last year and you lost 100 games. And you still don't have a nine-figure contract on your payroll. You're getting close, but when when is that going to happen? Are you going to get a stadium before you get a nine-figure contract? Like, which one is it going to be? I just don't understand how in this state – if you know anything about the budget problems, both in this city and this state, you can ask for any public money. That's that's my concern. The other thing is guaranteed rate field isn't that old. What, it's 30 some odd years old, right? A little over 30 years old? 92-ish, yeah. Okay, so yeah. that's, that's right. by, by no means is it not in working condition. It's in great working condition. I go, I sit in stands, I hang out. Like, I, I'm not saying that it wouldn't be wonderful to have a beautiful new ballpark and have the city in the background like it should have been, but public money is not the way to do this. Like, read the state, not just read the room. Read the state. I understand that there might be a huge subsidy here for Major League Baseball. That leads me to ask other questions about how it claims its revenue is, is being taken in, you know, up to a billion-dollar subsidy there. But all of this seems very clandestine. That I feel like we're in the middle of this process rather than the beginning of the discussion. Don't let those Soldier Field bonds fool you, by the way. It's not just over $300 million. According to Phil Rogers last year. Well, that's just the principle. Yeah, that's just yes. the principle. Yeah. We're, we're not even doing no. that. 
Right. We over six hundred million dollars yes. there. That's a more accurate gauge, but yeah, th- six hundred. The interest is what gets you, fam. Long way to go. And these are the questions that hopefully we'll be asking management later this week. How much of the NBA All Star Game did you guys watch? How about Saturday's events? Did you stay awake during the dunk contest? Should the three point contest be the last event if it's going to be more exciting? I don't know how much more proof you needed the last night's game to show that people love shooting threes. <laughs> so to me, that has become the glamour shot in the NBA. And I don't mean glamour <laughs> shots. This is what happens you don't when I don't get enough picture, sleep. Right? Glamour shot. Not, not I, glamour I never shot. did the glamour shot. I was so bombed, guys. I was really, really sad. Oh, you could have. You, no. Down in Texas, don't they? Is that everybody I knew had it? Everybody I knew had it. I was so bombed that I didn't get to do it. Uh, so, all of that said, yeah, everybody loves shooting threes. I think this situation with the dunk contest is people saying they want to do it, but they're concerned about their knees. How many of the elites in the NBA have said that? I, I still think that uh, I love Mac McClung, the concept of him, the fact that he's doing this well. I, I just think they've got to incentivize it. And here's what I suggest is... Why don't you make divisions? Like, why don't you do props? Why don't you do distance? Why don't you do freestyle? I think, obviously, the requirement is somebody has to dunk over Shaq, so that's got to be in there. But there's a way to make it a little more interesting and at least, like, give some guys some money. They, You have it. They incentivize it if you want them to uh, participate a little more intently. Yeah, I did not watch any of the festivities because I'm kind of I'm kind of out on All Star games. Uh, I I just don't think, especially for basketball, I don't think that's real not basketball. Enough, not, not enough Pistons. <laughs> definitely not enough Pistons, okay. not enough balls, but definitely not enough Pistons. But when the MLB All Star game, they got rid of what like it it was a real game that meant something. They once that happened, I was kind of out about it. But I still think the dunk contest should be the last event because a great dunk contest is better than a great three-point competition because when you get the dunk contest at its best it's amazing theater Zach Levine Aaron Gordon that's one of the best things I've witnessed with my own eyeballs as a sports fan so just fix the dunk contest make sure you get the right people or like get a producer even to make sure that they are like set up to do creative dunks so I'm for the dunk contest being the last thing but just get it right it took forever and it was just so boring and like who are those guys I did like the Jalen Brown dunk hand yeah, it was clever. The, the gloves. There are some clever I that things, that I suppose. My favorite was the birthday cake. Do you remember that? The cupcake that, uh, was it Nate Robinson that he blew out? I have to remember. Well, Nate Robinson dunking anytime in a contest is good theater. I, I liked Nate Robinson when he was. Oh, it was Gerald Green. Oh, Gerald Green. Green. Yeah, I, I'm kind of like watching on Saturday thinking, why am I watching this on Saturday? I, the three-point contest is worth your time. I like that. It's remarkable what they can do. But I think that they should probably condense everything. It seems like it just drags. And then you have really kind of commentary. I just, you watch Saturday and just feel kind of, oh boy, am I really this grouchy all the time? Or am I just getting older? Whatever. It's just bad TV, right? The All-Star game itself was had its moments, but still there's not, when you score almost 400 points, I don't know how they change it except for maybe incentivize it with money um if you want to put the three-point shot last of the contest last that makes a lot of sense i did not waste a lot of time i suppose maybe half hour on the dunk contest and three-point shot and the game itself i've watched probably longer than i needed to i also uh i also think it would be cool they talked about caitlin clark yesterday or two days ago, being possibly in the three-point shot contest. That would be fun. That would be fun, but just don't tell Kenny Smith. Before I take questions. Craig Council sounded very open to the idea and even encouraged by the thought of Christopher Morell playing third base. I think we'll probably, I think there'll be some first base for Chris, but I think, you know, I'd like to see him on third base, I think, to start camp. Um, And look, you know, it's, you know, Christopher's done so much with the bat that it's our job <laughs> to figure out the best way to deploy him, right? And um, it's, uh, you know, Bruce and I were having this conversation earlier. It's, it's to say he can play a lot of positions, yes. We have to play that on a certain level that it, that it makes sense for the bat to be in there, right? Um, and we've got to, and it is harder to play multiple positions, no question about it. 
How do you feel about Morrell being the Cubs' primary third baseman, or is Council laying it on a thick, a ploy to let free agent Matt Chapman believe the Cubs don't really need him? <laughs> I don't think Council would be engaged in something like that, although it does leave the impression that the Cubs really don't need Matt Chapman. It not, might not be the offseason they're going to sign him. The Mariners are in on Chapman. We'll wonder uh, all week whether or not Scott Boris will let any of his clients ever sign with anybody. The big four still without Holmes. I like the idea of Christopher Morrell at third base because it guarantees him lineup certainty. And I think you need his bat in the lineup on a – and you need to count on that. So that's the certainty that this offense needs, especially if it's without Cody Bellinger, which is still in doubt. So defensively, is it going to hurt you sometime? Yeah, I think so. But you also have gold glove infielders up the middle. You've got, I don't know what Michael Bush is defensively at first base, but I don't think he's as big of a liability as maybe Morrell could be at third. You've got Good options in late, late innings if you want to take Morrell out if you need to with Mar- with Madrigal. Who's going to make this team? He'll make this team. Oh, yeah. He's he's on the team. Nick, yeah. He's on the team for next year. So I don't mind. Just me quoting Farmio. I don't mind Craig uh, Council going on this uh, path. I think it's probably if it's one of those things where if this is his idea, you feel like it's a good one because he has a lot of good ideas. I don't know if I'm necessarily a fan of Merle at third just because I love the idea of the Cubs having like the best defensive infield in all of baseball. And with Michael Bush, the uncertainty of what he can do defensively, I don't know if you want the corners of your infield to be necessarily question marks defensively. Like you have Nico and Dansby. That's awesome. But Morel is a liability defensively, and I don't know if I can trust that. With the bat, I love it. I love that very much, but defensively, I don't know if I can quite say I trust him as an everyday type of third baseman. Well, that's what the Cubs were trying to figure out last year, right? We heard all about the spine of the defense, and then they had to make some concessions when they DFA'd Tucker Barnhart. That was my first indication that they realized they didn't have enough offense to get the job done. I I don't think that this is them trying to fool Matt Chapman, for the record. <laughs> I think this is their insurance plan because they might not get both. We, 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 like, we I'd a- love to have Matt Chapman and Cody Bellinger on this team. I'd feel much better about things. I wanted Jorge Soler, by the way. By the way, Good. I'm irrationally angry about it's, that. That's not, it's not a bad idea. We, we are, you know, we have been known to maybe engage or believe in a few conspiracy theories around here on the morning show. Or do you think the midday show is not Even having any of those? Dustin not here. This is in honor of Dustin. So he's always here. When you play hard to get, sometimes you just lose out on the thing you were trying to get. Played yourself. During an interview on Inside the Clubhouse on Saturday, which is just a fantastic show, David Hall and Bruce Levine loved that show, a new White Sox writing Mike Soroka spoke about the immeasurable importance of a strong catcher. I don't think you can really put a price on that, to be honest with you. I think it's, it's one of the intangibles that I don't think that there are necessarily analytics for. Um, and catcher experience is, is so important um, to a pitching staff. I, I got called up and... Uh, the first guys I was throwing to were, were Kurt Suzuki, uh, Tyler Flowers, and uh, Brian McCann. And I, I learned a ton from them uh, just by being out there. Um, they're not afraid to stray from the scouting report when they see something different. The competition aspect of baseball. and uh, We can do our homework all we want on analytics and percentages of, of pitches and, and which quadrants to throw to, but sometimes the game changes. and. Having a veteran catcher uh, like Martin and, and like Max um, are going to be able to pick pick up on that pretty quickly and, and switch a game plan. You know, obviously with this team uh, putting an emphasis on defense, it's going to be my job to keep the ball over the plate and, and let them work. Agree or disagree? Does that make Martin Maldonado the, the Sox most important offseason addition? I mean, I guess, given what we're working with here, I will say... What do all three of the Sox catchers have in common? Max Stassi, Martin Maldonado, and Corey Lee. What do they have in common? Another mm. former team, the Astros. They're all former Astros. I was Astros just going to guess Royals. Yeah, you would. <laughs> but but amazingly, in this case, not the case. Uh, I I think having Martin Maldonado is a, is a good thing for what Soroka just described. I just wonder how much these guys are going to be able to even get through times for the order, right? Like, this is... The Sox starting pitching staff is a concern. You're backstopped by 
three catchers with a lot of well lee doesn't have as much experience of course but at least you're backstopped by two who do so that's a good thing to have sure i just we're talking about this if we're in a tight game right i i just want to know how many of those we think could be happening here wow i didn't mean to sound so sad at the <laughs> end i really didn't Layla, it's gone dark. Yeah, it's gone somber I just, now. I, I don't have enough sleep to hide some of my <laughs> feelings right now. Yeah. You know, my answer is yes. Uh, just like you said, there aren't many great options to choose from, but I think the Sox need people who know how to win and also how to lead. So coming from the Astros, being in that organization, being behind the plate with some amazing pitchers, Justin Verlander and just like that, that's important. And he also played in Kansas City for only half a season, and that seems like the least amount of time of any of these acquisitions. <laughs> uh, so congratulations to Gross Point South alum Chris Getz. Uh, very good job. You have to work that in every so often there, Robbie, don't you? He went you? to my high school, he, so I, I have I, to, Did yeah. he really go to your high school? I was unaware. He's, That's only like <laughs> the seventh time you've told me. Maybe the only sixth time on the air. So we can go for eight today. Think about what that says, though, about the White Sox offseason, that Martin Maldonado, arguably, and I, I think the argument is a sound one, is the most important offseason addition. He's a piece on most teams. He was a piece of the Astros, instrumental to their success, but expendable. And that's where the Sox are. Somebody else's discards are being viewed as something that they – uh, value as much as any new player. It's not a long list of guys who you could point to to argue. Eric Fetty? Eh, I don't know. What about John Brebbia? I, I, I'm not even sure people are like, who's that? Paul DeYoung? He's going to play shortstop for at least, what, 80 games? I'm optimistic about the Fetty signing because Bannister was optimistic, and I'm still optimistic about Bannister. Okay. Well, that's sort of a reason. Dominic Fletcher, he's going to play where? Is he going to play? Who's Dominic Fletcher? Oh, yeah, he's the opening day right fielder. Yes, Martin Maldonado is the most important offseason acquisition for the Sox. Mike Soroka is the most uh, valuable interview added to the Sox. He was outstanding with a good 14 minutes with Bruce and I on Saturday, and I hope the more he talks, uh, the more you like him. He's an easy guy to pull for coming over from the Braves. If he stays healthy... If he stays healthy, that's a big if. He will be, I predict, the most important offseason addition to the White Sox. No, you asked me the question, so I'm going to answer your question. That right there is Jalen Johnson, and Adam Schefter listed Jalen Johnson among 12 other players considered candidates to receive the franchise tag. That would guarantee Johnson $18.4 million. Tuesday is only the opening of the window with March 5th, the deadline. On the Bears' offseason priority list, where is Johnson? How do you expect this to go? Is it my turn? I'd yeah. forgotten. Okay. Number one, the franchise tag is stupid. It just is. It's like, hey, here's your contract, but never mind. Here's more contracts. Did you decide this? No, but we get to decide. And the only prayer you have to make more money if you've earned it is the benefit of averages which in this case, somewhat good for Jalen Johnson, but not based on his viability as an actual free agent. Does that mean I think the Bears should use it? Yeah. I, if you, I would rather see him get a, a full extension based on honoring the work that he's put in, but it makes sense as to why they use it because it's business and it's a tool they can use. But I, I've always questioned the franchise tag because it basically says teams don't know how to write contracts. Or, or that the draft process where the contracts are dictated isn't exactly sound. So something about it just says, ah, owners, you get a free pass. GMG, you get a free pass because maybe your contracts aren't good enough. What? 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 <laughs> Never. I, I hate it. I hate it because it just isn't fair to people. Yeah, here's my priority list uh, for the Bears this offseason. Number one, figure out what you're going to do with the number one pick. Number two, figure out what you're going to do specifically with Justin Fields, and that kind of relates to the number one pick as well. Number three, figure out what you're going to do with the nine pick. So the draft owns the first three, and number four is Jalen Johnson extension or franchise tag. And if your goal is to win the Super Bowl, I think you need a player like Jalen Johnson because if you can guard elite wideouts with him, you do that. So I would give him the extension because I don't want to make it messy or hurt any feelings. He deserved the contract. He earned that last year. Give that man his money. Jalen Johnson is your second priority right behind what you do at quarterback because you 
really you're building one idea based on another. You want your elite quarterback to lift the level of play and to restart probably in all likelihood a new rookie contract. But everything is predicated, and Matt Eberflus is still here for one reason, and that's because they believe in this defense's ability to become elite. That only is true if you have Jalen Johnson remain at cornerback because you aren't going to convince anybody it's going to be elite unless you have one of those guys. And last year he improved into being one of those guys. So you tag him. I hate the tag too, Layla. I don't think anybody who follows the league likes it. You it, understand. Owners pur- like it. Owners like it. You understand its purpose. What it can do in this purpose in case is that it will buy the Bears some time. They can still negotiate a long-term deal. I don't think he ends up playing on the tag. It's $18.4 million. It cuts from last week, Whitehair and Eddie Jackson makes that, you know, very easy to absorb under the salary cap. A long-term contract certainly would make it much more easy because of the way you could structure it. But I do think they probably tag him. Uh, If they don't, that's good news. There's no way Ryan Poles can – there's no way that he can backtrack on what he said and let Jalen Johnson just walk into free agency. That's not going to happen. To me, it's inconceivable – and probably a fireable offense that's overstating it. But based on what he said, I don't think that's going to happen. So if you tag him before March 5th, you still have time to work out a long-term deal. Not answering any of your questions. And as we begin to get up to speed on college basketball, the first football lesson weekend since July, Loyola is currently tied with Dayton atop the Atlantic 10 with a 11-2 league record. Are they underrated? And is the state of Illinois looking to have three teams in the NCAA tournament again? The Ramblers, Northwestern, and the Illini, or four with Bradley? It could be four. Don't count out the Braves. They're third in the Missouri Valley. You never know. I would not underestimate them. That would be fun. March is fun. And then we'll have our assortment of local stories out in Princeton and wherever that we can get on the bandwagon again. I think I still have my orange T-shirt. Go Tigers. Yeah, I think it's going to be fun. I think there's Loyola. There's Illinois. Um, I need to I need to really study how I'm going to deal with the Illinois dilemma because to me it is still a dilemma. Northwestern, why that was a big victory yesterday against the Indiana Hoosiers is because, number one, it was on the road. Secondly, Boo Booey only had 14 points. It was 3 of 14. When you can win a game, in mm-hmm. that environment, without your senior clicking like that, mm-hmm. it's a big deal. So, am I ready for college basketball? I don't know. After Saturday, seeing Connor Bedard come back and score two points in a second game back from a broken jaw, I'm all hockey, baby. But I can get into March. I can get into the madness. And, yeah, I respect Illinois' ability to put four teams in the field. How about five? Maybe one of the other. Can UIC or Northern Illinois win a conference tournament? I don't know. Is that realistic? Probably not. Yeah, I'm going to go with three. Uh, Sorry, Bradley. I'm going to keep you out on that. And the good thing is with, you know, Loyola, Chicago, Northwestern, the Illini, I think because college basketball has been so much in flux, and I don't think there's a true elite team this year, I could imagine all of these teams making or getting a win in the tournament or even getting past the first round. Um, And Northwestern has really surprised me because, you know, I'm a Michigan State fan. They've been a doormat for Michigan State for my entire life. And the fact that they're doing this well this year, congrats to them. I think uh, when it comes to teams on the bubble in the tournament, the selection committee's bias toward one particular conference every year dictates how many are getting in from a certain conference. When it comes to Loyola, respect the body of work. That Atlantic 10 tournament is a lot of fun. There's still games to be played between You've now and then. You've covered that, haven't you? I have. It, it is a good time. Like if you, if you just like hoops, which I do, it is a lot of fun to watch. But Dayton is the class of this conference. The turnaround has been incredible. Given that they only had four conference wins last season, you, you've got to tip your hat to Drew Valentine. Illinois has been ranked too long, so I think they make the tournament. Not that I don't like that they've been ranked long. It's just they've been ranked too long, I think, to count them out at this point. It's just a log jam at the top of the Big Ten that always gets you. It was like this last year, the log jam in the standings where there's only one or two games separating each team that I think causes a little bit of confusion. But to me, at the end of the day, it's when you've got especially two from the American two in the top four in UConn and in UH, I just wonder how they're going to where the bias is going to fall in March. That is the pick six. And yes, that is Layla Rahimi's voice. And she is in for Mully today all morning long. After 
working sports Sunday all night long. Layla's a grinder. She's here. When we come back, we have the extra point. A certain national commentator embarrassed himself over the weekend, and we'll talk about that next. It's Mullen Hodge, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Set up this extra point. It's time for the extra point with Mullen Haw on 670 The Score. What in the world got into ESPN's Jay Williams on Saturday when he was asked about the greatness of Iowa's Caitlin Clark? I think she is the Stephen Curry of women's college basketball. I think she has changed the dynamics of the way the game is played. I think the way she plays, the pizzazz, is like she's probably the most prolific scorer the game of basketball has ever seen. Unmatched. I am, I am unwilling, and maybe it's more the, the Kobe mentorship around me, to say that she is great yet. I think she is the most prolific scorer the game has ever seen. I hold great or the levels of immortality or the pantheon to when you win championships. I'm just be that's just me. So Diane Taurasi, when you win three consecutive championships, two-time national player of the year, it has to it has to culminate with the chip. It has to. I mean, Brianna Stewart, if we're talking about GOAT legends of the game, she's won four chips. Four chips, multiple national players of the year. So I'm not saying that she's not at a high, high, high level, but for it to go to the states of immortality, in my opinion, it has to culminate with your team winning a champion. Oh, brother. So when you express your opinion for a living, I don't feel comfortable always criticizing people for just the opinions they have because I do think it's fair game and it's not wrong and it's just somebody's opinion. And if they can support it, I think it, you respect that professionally and you don't want to get personal. This, to me, though, was so offensive that I think it, he deserves to be called out because it's irresponsible to on, on two different levels for me. Number one, I totally disagree with this whole championship culture where somebody needs to win a championship before they're considered a great at that sport. I think there are too many examples in every sport to point to. You know, in just in the context of this weekend, Charles Barkley is a tremendous Hall of Fame basketball player who is a great commentator, but he never won it all. Their list is long, and you go to every sport, and Dan Marino, Ernie Banks, all this stuff. So that's one thing that I really find bothersome every time I hear it mentioned. And he went strong on that. He also kind of wrapped himself in this whole Kobe Bryant mentorship thing, which I think was weak because I don't think it relates here. The other thing is that I don't know what it is about Caitlin Clark that he finds so difficult to embrace. But there is greatness in everything that she has done. There's greatness in the way that she has advanced her sport. There's greatness in the way that she has provided uh, attention and created revenue for her school, for her state, for her own career. Caitlin Clark is a great example, not a good one. Caitlin Clark is a great example of a college student athlete, of a college basketball player. She's just a great example of an athlete, period. That Jay Williams has to qualify it, says there's something wrong with him, not her. That says there must be some sort of mental block with him. I don't know what it is. But it's stark, and it's bothersome, and it's really, really bad. And he can do better. They can do better. And this was really terrible to see somebody paid for his opinion, respected in the profession, come up this short and be this wrong and this dumb on something like this. Uh, Number one, I'm sorry that I misspoke. I met UConn and Marquette in the Big East earlier Guys, bear with me. I don't normally get this little sleep. Uh, okay, so now that that was said from the last segment, thank you. Thank you for your patience. Um, so, Jay Williams, I'm just kind of surprised, went on this limb because gone are the days of women's college basketball where having the best player means you're going to win the title. Kelsey Plum is the record that Caitlin Clark just broke. Okay, she went to the University of Washington. Like that, They don't have a national title to bear her name so i just this isn't this isn't the the situation anymore where it's just guaranteed that if you get the best player in women's college basketball you're going to win a title in fact like we we saw an amazing final four this past season i don't know how you judge caitlin clark's greatness on something that requires other people when you see the numbers that she's put up i don't even know why this is still a discussion this should be based on her peers and now she's Less than 100 points away from Pete Maravich, right? So 
how how that doesn't get brought up in in this overall look is just surprising to me. It it doesn't come down to championships anymore in the women's game. It just doesn't. That's a that's a one lane take, and and this is a at least a four or six lane freeway each way you're talking about here. So to me, it's just um, it's a bit short sighted given the competition of the game these days. Yeah, Caitlin Clark is not only the greatest women's college basketball player ever she's in the conversation for greatest college basketball player ever in general no matter men's or women's she is that dominant that powerful when she walks into the room she owns that room she has a gravity about her so that was a clown statement by Jay Williams and my media mentor is Holly Rowe I worked for for two years at Sirius XM every day she is like so in tap with women's sports and like she said that she is one of the most impactful athletes she's covered in her entire life, and she's covered Michael Jordan. She's covered some of the most impactful athletes of all time. Caitlin Clark is great. She is going to change the, dumb B- the WNBA in such an amazing way because of what she does for the sport. So, clown statement. There was another women's basketball shooter who made some news and headlines in the three-point contest over the weekend in Indianapolis, and some things said about her we'll, we'll get to when we come back. Do you have a thought on Caitlin Clark and Jay Williams, what he had to say about her? 312-644-6767. Maybe you're concerned about the Christopher Morrell move at third base for the Cubs. Maybe you think the White Sox have had a good offseason because you like Chris Getz too as much as our guy Robbie Triviano and the uh, high school connection that they share. Maybe you're upset about Jalen Johnson. Whatever you want to talk about, we are here to listen. 312 312- 644-6767. Layla Rahimi in for Mully. It's a Layla Monday. It's Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Mornings with Mully and Haw on 670 The Score. Welcome back. It's Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Layla is in for Mully today, talking about a variety of things. We heard from Jay Williams on Caitlin Clark. That was not the only commentator who kind of put his foot in his mouth talking about a tremendous women's basketball achievement or somebody who's a great shooter in the women's game. Sabrina Ionescu squared off with Steph Curry in the NBA three-point contest on Saturday is an exhibition. It was a cool thing. Wasn't it cool to see that? I Did you enjoy that? I enjoyed it because I think there is such a camaraderie between the men's and women's games in hockey and in the NBA, you know, in basketball as well, WNBA. So I, I really enjoyed the uh, the showmanship that both of them had in it. I enjoyed almost every aspect of it except for when Kenny Smith tried to describe what he was watching on TNT. I, I, I think she should have shot from she should have shot from the women's line. That would have been a fair contest. I still root for Sabrina. I still root for Sabrina. We all are rooting for Sabrina. No. This is not so- what she should have shot about? from the three-point line that the women shoot from. Why are you putting those boundaries on her? That's she, not a boundary. She That's what the game is. She wanted to shoot. They have a smaller ball, don't they? She shot a WNBA ball. WNBA ball is smaller. She shot with the WNBA ball. Yeah, but ball. she, she should have shot from the line. In, in there's the a women's team. tee in golf and there's a men's tee for a reason. No. She a shooter shoot. Isn't that what you said? Yeah, but they shoot from where they shoot from. No. Thank you. No, no, no. Sabrina, Good job, team. Sabrina. No, but, but don't let any man put boundaries on you like Kevin. Uh, well, then give him a regular ball then. Don't let any man put boundaries on you. Give him a regular ball then. It's not fair. Curry I disagree. Eight of the nine. Money right, balls folks. to beat Sabrina. Thank you, Reggie Miller. Voice of reason there. Surprised at Kenny Smith, little Layla. I like Kenny Smith. Did not see that one coming. I think he was trying maybe to argue for the the uh, accuracy of each respective three-point shooter from their respective line. But at the end of the day, if she requested that, and she still had how many, right? She, she would have twenties, like yeah. It, she would have advanced in the real contest. Exactly. She hit what thirty one, I think, from the WNBA line. So to get to, you know to get that mark, like the all time high. So to me, I just if she wants to try it, why not? We're seeing Caitlin Clark shoot logo threes. Let's go. Like I, I like the uh, the dog that Sabrina Ionescu has in her. Yeah, I just didn't see that necessary in those circumstances from another broadcaster that I respect. And, you know, it just you can have opinions on things, but that just seemed like such a 
so, one that was so poorly supported and just random. It was just, what's he got against her? What's he got against women shooting threes? What's he got against women's basketball? Is it something deeper than that? I don't know. Let's go out to the score listener line powered by BetQL. Smarter bets start with BetQL. Download the BetQL app today or visit BetQL.com. 312-644-6767. Let's go to Matt in Oswego. Hey, Matt. Welcome to in, welcome to Mullen Hall. Hey, how you doing? Good morning. Um, so we're talking about Caitlin Clark and how she doesn't need a championship to define her greatness. Uh, the other week we had heard you talking about the top five quarterbacks of all time, and I believe we had mentioned that they needed championships to be great. So why is Aaron Rodgers not in your top five based on a pure statistics standpoint? Um, because he doesn't have a championship. Aaron Rodgers won a championship, Matt, Matt, Matt. Aaron Rodgers won a championship. I'll answer the question. You're, you're playing a game of gotcha, and I, I respect the, the, the attempt. But here's the thing. We use championships certainly to compare and contrast once guys have won them. All the, play, all the quarterbacks we were ranking were considered great. Dan Marino was part of that group. There are quarterbacks who haven't won a Super Bowl that were great quarterbacks. Dan Fouts was part of that conversation. My problem with Jay Williams was that he did not want to acknowledge necessarily that she was a great player, maybe the greatest ever, because she never won a, she hadn't won a title yet. She's 22 years old. I just don't get it. There was something else preventing him from having that. I don't know what, how that's even comparable. Aaron Rodgers was not in my top five because I didn't think that he had accomplished what Drew Brees had in his career. Not everything is always about Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> that, that too. Although I do think that I, I, you can't really argue with the stats in the resume, but I don't know that he's top five, like current top five, or was it all we, time we were saying, top We were five. saying top five all time, oh, and we came yeah, up that's... with our top five list. Hmm. Aaron Rodgers didn't make any of ours. There was Elway, there was Montana, there was Brady, there was Mahomes, there was Manning. Okay, that's five without Aaron Rodgers. Has nothing to do with the championship. And if you want to use that as a, as a rationale to dismiss what I said about Caitlin Clark and Jay Williams' criticism, fine. Live in that world. I, I just think it's tone deaf to say Caitlin Clark is not a great college women's basketball player or college athlete, period. Ridiculous. Go to, let's go to Jake in Milwaukee. Jake, welcome to Mullen Hall. Hey guys, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Hello. Hey, uh, just yeah. Hey, just want to touch on the fact that uh, about Jay Williams and Caitlin Clark. The fact that Jay Williams is hiding behind Kobe Bryant when he was such an advocate for women's basketball with his daughters in the WNBA and uh, may rest in peace. With no doubt in my mind, call Caitlin Clark great. Thank you very much. I thought the same thing. He invoked the memory of Kobe Bryant as as a shield and. Kobe Bryant, from what we know of his involvement with his daughter and just what he has said, what he, what he had said before his tragic death, he was a big supporter of women's sports and women's basketball. I don't think he would have any trouble at all saying that Caitlin Clark is great. No, I don't, I don't believe so. That's a very good call. Gino is in Dallas. Gino's in Layla country. Welcome to Mullen Hall, Gino. Hey, thank you guys for calling. I, I kind of want to touch on what you what the caller said also about you said Dan Marino couldn't be in your in your pantheon of top five as greatest quarterbacks. I'm 52. I'm from Chicago. I watched Dan Marino's entire career. To me, I've never seen a person throw a ball better than he had. He had worse teams, but you didn't put him on his on your top five because he didn't have any chances. But I, but I said he was great, I think, Gino. I don't think. I, I, the the, the, yeah, the question isn't the question isn't ranking here. The question is an adjective. The question is yeah, about I'll, whether or not you're willing to call. Hear. Hold on a second here. No, hold on a second here. You're, 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 you're suggesting something that's not true. We're comparing quarterbacks last week in relation to what their careers accomplished. All of them were great quarterbacks. They were in the pool of candidates that were all had one thing in common, greatness. Jay okay, Williams was, was reluctant to call her great because she hadn't won a championship, which to, which to me is absurd. This this topic. Okay, I, I was going to say that I thought that. 
I was going to say that I thought he said that she, he couldn't put her at the top of his great list without a championship. Not that she wasn't great at all. Well, we'll parse his language, but I think that, that that's uh, definitely something that – that's not the impression that he left. I, I, I don't believe that's the impression that Jay Williams left here. Let's take one more quickly before we get to a break. No, Tom, he said he wasn't willing to call her great because she hasn't won a national championship. He was unwilling to call her great because she has not won a national championship. Yeah, I, knew, I wanted to look up the exact quote there. Wasn't that what he said? Yeah, that's the quote. Tom is in Homewood? Holewood. Hey, Tom, welcome to Mullen Haw. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I just wanted, you guys are comparing college athletes. I think Larry Bird didn't win a national championship, and he was one of the best players to ever, ever play the game. I agree? I agree. Yes. Thank you, Tom. Larry Bird on display at the All-Star Game in Indianapolis beforehand all weekend long. Yeah, Larry Bird, great college basketball player at Indiana State. Didn't win at all because Magic Johnson beat him. And that was one of the greatest NCAA finals ever. All I took away from this was that your top five list apparently upset a lot of people. It did. It did. And mostly Aaron Rodgers fans. Everybody. That's That's your takeaway from my Caitlin Clark. Yes, yeah, two of the four calls were about your Aaron Rodgers take from weeks ago. <laughs> was it last week? It was last week. I don't know. It was post it Mahomes, post Super Bowl. Post Malone? That post, no, not him. I had, he's still trying on jackets that uh, Brittany Mahomes gave him. She did the right thing. She did the right thing, didn't she? She yeah. did. You can't wear a Cowboys jacket to a Super Bowl where the Cowboys haven't been in it in 30 years. All right, well, we're getting... We got a couple people mad at us. That's okay. That's part that comes with the territory. Plus, you're here. I mean, people are gonna kind of rail anyway, right? They're just sometimes you just bring that out in the texters. Yeah, I do. It's good times. <laughs> I'm glad times you're here. Three hours of sleep. A lot of people are glad you're here, though, Layla. We're gonna talk baseball next. Tom Ricketts will address the Cubs later today for their first full squad workout. The other owner slash chairman in town made some news over the weekend. We'll get to both teams next. It's Mullen Hall. Layla in for Mully, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.